You are listening to Alpha Male Buddhist from Brooklyn podcast. Expand your mind and keep it love. This is a reading of Frederick Nietzsche's book, Thus Spoke Zarathustra, a book for all and none. This is prologues in 10 parts. This is part one. When Zarathustra was 30 years old, he abandoned his home and the lake of his home and went into the mountains. Here he enjoyed his spirit and his solitude, and for ten years he did not tire of them. At last, however, there was a change in his heart, and one morning, with the dawn of morning, he rose, stepped out before the sun, and spoke to it thus, Greetings, great star. What would your happiness be if it were not for those who you illumine? For ten years you have come up here to my cave. You would have grown weary of your light without me, my eagle, and my serpent. But we were waiting for you every morning took from you your overflow, and also blessed you for it. Behold, I am overburdened with my wisdom. Like the bee that has gathered too much honey, I need hands outstretched to receive it. I should like to bestow and distribute, until the wise among human beings once again become glad of their folly, and the poor once again of their riches. For that I must descend into the depths, just as you do in the evening, when you go down behind the sea, and still bring light to the underworld. You overrich star, I must, like you, go under, as human beings call it, to whom I would go down. So bless me then, you tranquil eye, who can look without envy, even upon all too great happiness. Bless the cup that wants to overflow, that the water may flow from it golden, and carry everywhere the reflection of your delight. Behold, this cup wants to become empty again, and Zarathustra wants to become human again. Thus began Zarathustra's going under. This is episode 129, and I'm your host, Miguel. Just a quick side note on this book, Thus Spoke Zarathustra, and the author, Frederick Nietzsche. I was going to put some commentary, history, background on on the author and the philosopher. However, it's too immense to sit here and and go over, so I recommend that you do your research on him, on his background, on on his education. One thing I will say, if I'm not mistaken... Nietzsche, at age 24, was granted a professorship at a university in Germany, solely based on his intellect, his knowledge, and the man he was, his depth. You know, it didn't take a test, it wasn't accredited, it was just based on who he was and his knowledge at age 24. So, I recommend you check him out and look into him. Another note is he, Frederick Nietzsche himself, of all the books he's written, I know he's written many, he himself proclaims that this book, Thus Spoke Zarathustra, is his greatest work ever. And in addition to that, he claims that it's the best book ever written. And oddly enough, a lot of people actually, academics actually do agree with him. One of the things that he was able to achieve in this book was, again, in his own words, and it does pan out to be true, is that he wanted to construct it in such a way that in 10 sentences, it would have the equivalent weight of another whole book. And as you start going through this prologue, just the first 10 prologues, you'll notice that it's very true that you could take 10 sentences from this book and it's equal you know, equal to another whole book. So we're going to get into the observations and the commentary on this prologue one. One of the first things that you're going to notice on this book, Thus Spoke Zarathustra, is that Nietzsche doesn't write his philosophy in a conventional way. His writing style is very unorthodox and outside of the box and very direct. 
that's, I'm sure, one of the reasons why a lot of people uh, initially when they read Nietzsche, they, not that they get turned off, but they don't get it because he doesn't pull any punches. He's very direct. So let's get into Prologue 1. Here in Prologue 1, Nietzsche uses allegory and metaphor to express his teachings. Where many writers would just use words to define other words or simply put out a word salad, Nietzsche paints a picture of nature, man, and the human condition. In this commentary, I'm going to use Nietzsche and Zarathustra interchangeably. Zarathustra left his home and the lake of his home in order to ascend up into the mountain where he would live in solitude for 10 years. Basically, what Nietzsche is saying here is that the only way that a man can transcend this day-to-day plane of existence is to go up and find the truth in solitude. No one can reveal your truth to you. You must ascend into the proverbial wilderness, alone and in solitude, with no smartphone, no Facebook, no fractional reserve lending, no opioids, no porn, just solitude for 10 years. Then await the sunrise every morning, then bless it. I love the imagery that Nietzsche is painting here, where Zarathustra arose in the morning and stepped before the sun and asked the sun, what would your happiness be if you did not have those for whom to shine? In other words, because of its abundance, the sun could only be truly happy if it shared with mankind of its light, warmth, and abundance. And I love the symbolism where he says that he, the sun greets him, his eagle, and his serpent. Shit is deep. Zarathustra says, Behold, I am weary of my wisdom, like a bee that hath gathered too much honey. I need hands that stretch out. Zarathustra has now become like the sun and needs to share of his own light, warmth, and power that he has gained in solitude over the past 10 years. In this way, he can find his own happiness like the sun had shared with him. He now wants to share of his abundance with others. Zarathustra says, Like you, I must go down, as the human beings say, to whom I want to descend. So bless me now, you quiet eye, that can look upon even an all-too-great happiness without envy. Nietzsche is saying here that nature provides everything. We need to live a fulfilled life, and does so without fear, envy, ego, greed, or attachment. That is the way of nature. Bob Marley once said, when the rain falls, it don't fall on one man's house. It falls everywhere and blesses everything. Bless the cup that wants to flow over, such that the water flows golden from it, and everywhere carries the reflection of your bliss. Behold, this cup wants to become empty again, and Zarathustra wants to become human again. Zarathustra is seeking to bring his life into a state of balance by sharing his knowledge of self and of his spiritual abundance with less evolved people in order to descend from his metaphysical heights. He has attained in his 10 years of solitude in the great mountain accompanied by the overflowing power of the sun and nature, his eagle and his serpent, which are both metaphors for archetypal virtues. Thus begins Zarathustra's going under. You really can't add anything to that or take away anything from it. It is what it is. Nietzsche. Zarathustra's Prologue, Part 2. Zarathustra climbed down the mountain alone, and no one encountered him. But when he came into the forest, there suddenly stood before him an old man, 
who had left his holy hut in order to search in the forest for roots. And thus spoke the old man to Zarathustra, No stranger to me is this wanderer. Many years ago he passed by here before. Zarathustra he was called, but now he has transformed himself. Then you are carrying your ashes to the mountains. Would you today carry your fire into the valleys? Do you not fear the arsonist's punishment? Yes, I recognize Zarathustra. Clear is his eye, and around his mouth no trace of disgust. Does he not walk like a dancer? Zarathustra is transformed. Zarathustra has become a child. Zarathustra is an awakened one. What do you want now among sleepers? You lived in your solitude as if in the sea, and the sea bore you up. Alas, you want to climb onto land? Alas, you want to drag your body yourself again? Zarathustra answered, I love human beings. But why, said the holy man, did I go into the forest and the desert? Was it not because I love human beings all too much? Now I love God. Human beings I love not. The human being for me is too incomplete an affair. Love of human beings would be the death of me. Zarathustra answered, What did I say of love? I bring human beings a present. Give them nothing, said the holy man. Rather, take something from them and carry it for them. That will do them the greatest good. As long as it does you good. And if you would give to them, give them nothing more than alms. And let them beg even for that. No, answered Zarathustra. I give no alms. For that I am not poor enough. The holy man laughed at Zarathustra and spoke to him thus. Then see to it that they accept your treasures. They're suspicious of solitaries, and do not believe we come in order to bestow. Too lonely for them is the sound of our footsteps in the lanes. And when in their beds at night, they hear a man going by long before the sun has risen. They surely ask themselves, where is that thief going? Do not go to human beings, but stay in the forest. Go rather even to the beasts. Why would you not be like me, a bear among the bears, a bird among the birds? And what does the holy man do in the forest? Asked Zarathustra. The holy man answered, I make up songs and sing them. And as I make up songs, I laugh and weep and growl. Thus do I praise God. With singing, weeping, laughing and growling, I praise the God who is my God. But what do you bring us as a present? When Zarathustra heard these words, he saluted the holy man and said, what could I have to give to you? But let me go quickly, that I might not take nothing from you. And thus they parted from each other, the old man and the younger, laughing, just like two boys laughing. But when Zarathustra was alone again, he spoke thus to his heart. Could this be possible? This old holy man in his forest has heard nothing of this yet, that God is dead. The old man here, or the hermit, represents the ascended spiritual man of his day, withdrawn from the masses and communing with nature, in a kind of old man of the forest type of way. The old man recounts that he remembers Zarathustra from ten years past, when he first encountered Zarathustra as he made his ascent up into the mountain. As the old man said, Zarathustra was ascending into the mountain carrying his ashes, which is a metaphor for his broken life and meaningless existence. The old man declares that Zarathustra is now transformed. He then asks Zarathustra, 
Do you now want to carry your fire into the valley? What the old man is saying is that initially when he saw Zarathustra ten years past, as he ascended into the mountain, carrying his ashes again, it was his broken life. And now that he has communed with nature, the sun, his eagle, his serpent, and has attained this state of ecstatic wisdom, knowledge, understanding of all things, now he is descending into the valley, but not with his ashes, but with his fire. Zarathustra now being in his ascended state. So this is why the old man is asking him, does he, does he now want to carry his fire into the valley? And he warns Zarathustra that those villagers and those people in the valley are sleepers and would not be able to receive his, his instruction, his knowledge, and the spiritual gift that he's bringing to them. He's warning, he's warning Zarathustra that they're not going to get it. Now, the old man also proclaims that Zarathustra has become a child. And as you get further into this, there's what's called Nietzsche's metamorphosis, where an individual goes from a spirit or like a sheep state and ascends up into the state of being a camel, which, far, which is able to endure out in the desert, in the dry climate, able to carry a heavy load. And that is man in his search for truth and understanding and enlightenment because it's a it's a heavy hard job that you have to persevere on and go through a lot of suffering and go under as Nietzsche would say that's the second state is the camel the third state in the metamorphosis of, of Nietzsche is and this is this is under the heading of the Ubermensch which this book is bringing forth the Ubermensch the second uh, state is the camel the third state is the state of a lion and the lion is the one that is able to confront and face the dragon. And the dragon's name is actually Thou Shalt, which is like Thou Shalt Not Do This and Thou Shalt Not Do That or whatever. The lion is the one that's able to confront the dragon Thou Shalt and say no to him, which is saying no to all of the pressures in life that everybody is subjected to, the fears, the anguish, the repression and, and such. So... This lion is able to confront the dragon, which is thou shalt and say no. And as and as a result of the lion saying no to the dragon, the lion is now converted into a baby. And the baby is able to say yes, because he's a new beginning with no attachment, with no anything, no negative past regressions, just a state of pure bliss and an ability to say yes and to create a new like a baby. Some really deep shit. So the old man is saying that Zarathustra is transformed into a child. So he says, the awakened one is Zarathustra. What do you want now among the sleepers? Which are the villagers? Which is the world? And he says to Zarathustra, you lived in your solitude as if in the sea, and the sea carried you. Alas, you want to climb ashore? Alas, you want to drag your own body again? Understanding that he's actually, Zarathustra is actually going down to speak to people, to teach to people, to instruct people that are not really going to understand anything that he brings to them, his gift. And this is what the old man is warning Zarathustra about. And the old man continues and says to Zarathustra, To them, our footsteps sound too lonely in the lanes. And if at night, lying in their beds, they hear a man walking outside, Long before the sun rises, they probably ask themselves, 
Where is the thief going? Do not go to mankind, but stay in the woods. Go even to the animals instead. Why do you not want to be like me? A bear among bears. A bird among birds. And what does the saint do in the woods? asked Zarathustra to the old man. The old man replied, I make songs and sing them. And when I make songs, I laugh, I weep, and growl. Thus I praise God. With singing, weeping, laughing, and growling, I praise the God who is my God. But tell me, what do you bring us as a gift? When Zarathustra heard these words, he took his leave of the old man of the forest and spoke thus, What would I have to give you? But let me leave quickly before I take something from you. And so they departed, the old man and Zarathustra, the young man, laughing like two boys laugh. But when Zarathustra was alone, he spoke thus to his heart. Could it be possible that this old man in the woods has not heard that God is dead? Zarathustra's Prologue, Part 3 When Zarathustra came to the nearest town, which lay on the edge of the forest, he found there a crowd of people gathered in the market square, for it was announced that a rope dancer would appear. And Zarathustra spoke to the people thus, I teach to you the old human. The human is something that shall be overcome. What have you done to overcome it? All beings so far have created something beyond themselves. And you want to be the ebb of this great tide? And even go back to the beasts? Rather than overcome the human? What is the ape for the human being? A laughing stock? Or a painful cause for shame? And the human shall be just that for the overhuman. A laughing stock or a painful cause for shame. You have made your way from worm to human, and much in you is still worm. Once you were apes, and even now the human being is still more of an ape than any ape is. Whoever is the wisest among you is still no more than a discord, and hybrid between plant and specter. But do I bid you become specter or plants? Behold, I teach to you the overhuman. The overhuman is the sense of the earth. May your will say, let the overhuman be the sense of the earth. I beseech you, my brothers, stay true to the earth, and do not believe those who talk of over-earthly hopes. They are poison mixers, whether they know it or not. They are despisers of life, moribund, and poison themselves, of whom the earth is weary. So let them pass on. Once sacrilege against God was the greatest sacrilege, but God died and thereby the sacrilegious died too. Sacrilege against the earth is now the most terrible thing, and to reveal the entrails of the unfathomable, more than a sense of the earth. Once the soul looked despisingly upon the body, and at that time, this despising was the highest thing. She wanted the body to be lean, ghastly, and starved. Thus she thought to slip away from the body and the earth. Oh, this soul was herself still lean, ghastly, and starved. And cruelty was the lust of this soul. But you too, my brothers, what does your body proclaim about your soul? Is your soul not poverty and filth and wretched contentment? Verily, a polluted stream is the human. One must be a veritable sea to absorb such a polluted stream without becoming unclean. Behold, I teach to you the overhuman. It is this sea. In this can your great despising submerge itself. What is the greatest you can experience? It is the hour of the great despising, the hour in which even your happiness disgusts you. 
and likewise your reason and your virtue. The hour when you say, What good is my happiness? It is poverty and filth and wretched contentment, but my happiness should justify existence itself. The hour when you say, What good is my reason? Does it crave knowing as the lion craves its food? It is poverty and filth and wretched contentment. The hour when you say, What good is my virtue? It has yet to set me raging. How tired I am of my good and my evil. All that is poverty and filth and wretched contentment. The hour when you say, What good is my righteousness? I do not see that I am a blaze of hot coals. But one who is righteous is a blaze of hot coals. The hour when you say, What good is my pitying? Is not pity the cross upon which he who loves humankind is nailed? But my pitying is no crucifixion. Have you ever spoken thus? Have you ever cried thus? Ah, that I might have already heard you cry thus. Not your sin, your frugality rails against heaven. The very avarice in your sin rails against heaven. Where then is the lightning to lick you with its tongue? Where is the madness with which you must be inoculated? Behold, I teach to you the overhuman. It is this lightning. It is this madness. When Zarathustra had spoken thus, someone from among the people shouted, We've heard enough about the rope dancer. Now let us see him too. And all the people laughed at Zarathustra. But the rope dancer, thinking the words concerned him, began his performance. So in this third prologue of Thus Spoke Zarathustra, uh, Zarathustra had just recently departed from the old man in the forest who had warned him of the villagers that were sleepers and that would not understand his teachings and his gift that he was bringing to them. So Zarathustra comes into the town and simultaneously, just as he's entering into the town, there was an event staged and set up for a tightrope walker that was going to perform for the crowd. So just as Zarathustra is arriving into this village, this town, he begins to proclaim his teaching, his gift to them. And Zarathustra spoke thus, I teach you the overhuman, or translated from German, Ubermensch. The human being is something that must be overcome. Obviously, they had no idea what he was talking about. They were all standing around waiting for this tight tightrope walker, this circus performer, as Zarathustra is standing before them, ready to give, give them his gift. So I repeat, human being is something that must be overcome. What have you done to overcome him? All creatures so far have created something beyond themselves, and you want to be the ebb of this great flood, and would rather even go back to animals than overcome humans? Thus spoke Zarathustra. What is the ape to a human? A laughingstock or a painful embarrassment. And that is exactly what the human shall be to the overhuman. A laughingstock, a painful embarrassment. And again, the people really have no idea what he's talking about. They're waiting for the circus performer. You know, and just as a side note on Nietzsche, it's said that he was not even really appreciated in his own time. He really became popular and known as one of the world's greatest philosophers ever quite a few years after he passed away, if I'm not mistaken, in like the 30s, I think, is when he really became, you know, renowned as a great thinker, writer, author, and philosopher. In his own time, like basic, I guess in Germany, he was very well known because he was bestowed that professorship at, at age 24. But other than that, he was just, you know, just a 
basic uh, basic guy writing basic books, and he was not really appreciated nor understood in his own time. So it's not surprising that these villagers had no idea what he was talking about, just like pe- most people today don't even know what Nietzsche is talking about. But the minute uh, Nietzsche does get into your ear, I warn you, it's an obsession. The dude, the dude will change your life for the better. And I think that's why a lot of people kind of avoid him because they somehow subliminally know the power that's in his writings just just from a lot of the phrases and the quotes that he has out there such as uh, that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger I mean I can go on and on there's so many quotes just just hop on Google and type in Frederick Nietzsche quotes and be prepared doodle rock your world so Nietzsche continues or Zarathustra continues the hour in which you say what matters my reason Does it crave knowledge like a lion? It's food. It is poverty and filth and a pitiful contentment. He continues, how weary I am of my good and my evil. That is all poverty and filth and a pitiful contentment. The hour in which you say, what matters my pity? Is pity not the cross on which he is nailed? Who loves humans? But my pity is no crucifixion. Have you yet spoken thus? Have you yet cried out thus? Oh, that I might have heard you cry out thus. Where is the lightning that would lick you with its tongue? Where is the madness with which you should be inoculated? Behold, I teach you the overhuman. He is the lightning. He is the madness. When Zarathustra had spoken thus, someone from the crowd cried out, We have heard enough already from the tightrope walker. Now let us see him too. And all the people laughed at Zarathustra. But the tightrope walker, believing these words concerned him, began his performance. So again, in this third prologue, Zarathustra brings his gift or teaching of the Ubermensch to the villagers. Now you have to understand one thing. Zarathustra is standing there before this crowd that's laughing and jeering at him. And he's actually in a state of supreme consciousness. So he knows exactly what's going on. They're all laughing at Zarathustra like he's the foolish one. But in fact... They're actually the fools that can't comprehend this gift he's bringing. This gift of the teaching of the Ubermensch. Zarathustra continues, Truly mankind is a polluted stream. One has to be a sea to take in a polluted stream without becoming unclean. Behold, I teach you the overhuman. He is the sea. In him your great contempt can go under. And the crowd continues to demand the performance of the tightrope walker. So Zarathustra is bringing the gift again of the Ubermensch and the crowd is just just asleep. Just just like today in modern modern times people are just sleeping. Zarathustra's prologue part 4. Zarathustra, however, looked at the people and was amazed. Then he spoke thus, "The human is a rope." Fastened between beast and overhuman. A rope over an abyss. A dangerous across. A dangerous on the way. A dangerous looking back. A dangerous shuddering. And standing still. What is great in the human is that it is a bridge. And not a goal. What can be loved in the human is that it's a going over. And a going under. I love those who do not know how to live. Except by going under. For they are those who go over and across. I love the great despisers. For they are the great reverers. And arrows of yearning. 
for the other shore. I love those who do not first seek from behind the stars, for a reason to go under and be sacrifices, but who sacrifice themselves to the earth. The earth one day may belong to the overhuman. I love him who lives in order to understand, and who wants to understand, so that one day the overhuman may live, and thus he wills his going under. I love him who works and invents, that he may build a house for the overhuman, and prepare earth, animal, and plant for its sake, for thus he wills his going under. I love him who loves his virtue, for virtue is the will to go under, and an arrow of yearning. I love him who holds back not one, one drop of spirit for himself, but wants to be wholly the spirit of his virtue. Thus he strides, as spirit, across the bridge. I love him who makes of his virtue, his addiction and his undoing. Thus he wills for his virtue's sake, to live on, and to live no more. I love him who would not have too many virtues. One virtue is more virtue than two, because it has more knots for one's undoing to latch onto. I love him whose soul unsquanders itself, who wants no thanks, and does not give back again. For he always bestows and would not preserve himself. I love him who is ashamed when the dice fall in his favor, and who then asks, Have I been playing falsely then? For he wills his own perishing. I love him who casts golden words before his deeds, and always keeps even more than he promises, for he wills his going under. I love him who justifies those to come in the future, and redeems those gone in the past, for he wants to perish by those in the present. I love him who chastens his God, because he loves his God, for the wrath of his God must be his perishing. I love him whose soul is deep, even in being wounded, and who can perish from the smallest experience. Thus he goes gladly over the bridge. I love him whose soul is overfull, so that he forgets himself, and all things are in him. Thus all things becomes his going under. I love him who has a free spirit and a free heart. Then his head is simply the entrails of his heart, yet his heart drives him to his going under. I love all those who are as heavy drops, falling singly from the dark cloud that hangs over the human. They herald the coming of the lightning, and as heralds, they also perish. Behold, I am a herald of the lightning, and a heavy drop from the cloud. But this lightning is called overhuman. This fourth prologue of Thus Spoke Zarathustra is extremely, extremely dense, and requires a lot of study and cross-referencing, glean just portions of what he's teaching and his gift in, in this uh in this book. So what I'm going to do is go through it and kind of outline the parts that speak to me initially when I'm reading it right now for this uh, for this podcast. So let's get into it. And the line that really, really stands out for me in this uh, fourth prologue is as follows. Now Zarathustra looked at the crowd and he was amazed. Then he spoke thus. Mankind is a rope fastened between animal and overhuman. A rope over an abyss. You can just see the visual on that. You know, it's a man's choice what he does when he's on that rope. He can fall, he can trip up, he can run back to the animal state, or he can plunge forward running towards the uh, overhuman or the ubermensch. It's his choice. It's man's choice. And what lies under the rope is the abyss. Meaning we must take risks in life. We must endure hardship, failure, fear, loathing, 
being despised, being laughed at, all of these things, we must endure the pain and the suffering that's needed to attain this this state of being the ubermensch or just being man at his best, being fulfilling our potential and being the best version of ourselves that we can be. Zarathustra continues, a dangerous crossing, a dangerous on the way, a dangerous looking back, a dangerous shuddering and standing still. What is great in the human is that it is a bridge and not a goal. What can be loved in the human is that it's a going over and a going under. So here Nietzsche is giving us the metaphor of the tightrope walker, the bridge, and he opens the fourth prologue by saying, mankind is a rope fastened between animal and overman, a rope over an abyss. So here Nietzsche is really about transcending your current state of being, of crossing over, of bridges, of ropes from animal state to overman state, and the courage to be able to cross between that and move forward without stagnating, evolving, and ascending to your highest human potential. In addition, the opposite of this, and Nietzsche firmly believed this as you continue to read this book, is that he believes the opposite is true, is that we can devolve, and that's what's happening with these village people and the people that are not understanding his gift or his teaching is that they're actually devolving down to an animal state. So Nietzsche takes nothing for granted and he believes that we must continually pursue and push ourselves and go through the adversities in life that we may attain this ubermensch state where we maximize ourselves and continue to continually grow and not rest upon our weakness, upon our fears, upon our undecisiveness but we must pursue forward along this rope along this bridge as he said man is a bridge and not a goal because by implying man being a goal when you reach that goal then then you're done and there's no more struggle there's no more adversity there's no more trials there's no more suffering but when you look at it from a state of being a bridge that implies just a constant continuous crossing evolving and moving forward And in addition, a bridge kind of poses us the ability to cross, to change, to go through a metamorphosis, to evolve, to grow, and to transcend our circumstance. The rope implies that we all have the ability to cross over and directly affect our circumstance in life. Nietzsche compels us to cross over and go under. And by going under, again, it's adversity suffering, pain, and over, crossing over, meaning, you know, an elevated self, an ability to to transcend our circumstance. And a big takeaway I get from this is that Nietzsche actually enjoys the whole process of suffering and struggling because he understands that this world is very duplicitous in that, you know, it's good and bad, high and low, hot and cold. Today I was a good boy, tomorrow I was a bad boy. All of that stuff is basically bullshit. Because we need to transcend that duplicitous duality state where we're seeking people's approval and we want to be, not that you want to be a bad person or a nice person, of course you need to be a good person, but that whole seeking people's approval and not seeing life through your own eyes, it's just living in a duplicitous state and we need to live in that state of singularity where we're aligned with God. Now, it's... A little bit, conf- not confusing, but uh, as you know that Jesus is my anchor and I, I'm a Christian and, you know, I, 
Jesus is my anchor. Jesus is my savior. But that doesn't stop me from reading Nietzsche. You know, a couple of people would say to me, oh, you're reading Nietzsche. God is dead and all that stuff. No. What I do is I read his his intelligence, his writings, his teachings, because there's a lot there to feed your soul. I take from it what I need and I discard what I don't need. And adding to that, he's when he's saying God is dead, he doesn't literally mean that God is dead. But what he's trying to do is eliminate weakness in men because we have a tendency to use religion as a crutch. I, I believe really what he's saying is not so much that God is dead, but religion or religious control over, over mankind is dead. You know what I mean? Because people, again, they use it as a crutch, as a weakness. And the church has manipulated mankind and continues to do so till this day, like the Vatican and all of this stuff that's going on. I'm not even going to get into that. But we need to align ourselves directly with the Supreme, with God. And reading it in that light, I align myself and really, for the most part, the teachings of Nietzsche, I'm cool with when you look at it in that light. He's just pushing man to evolve. And when man evolves, it helps him as an individual. It helps his family. It helps his children. It helps his culture and the world as a whole. If people had this mindset where we just continuously tried to improve and evolve as opposed to the shit that's going on these days with our politicians, these big businesses that are just hurting us. And trust me, they don't really want you to be reading Nietzsche, you know, because he's that spark that can ignite a man's thinking where he starts forgetting about the baseball team that he follows and, you know, we're going to make it to the playoffs. All of that shit is a distraction from the reality of what's happening right now and the suffering that's taking place on this planet right now, the wars and the death and devastation that these big corporations and pharmaceutical companies and insurance healthcare companies are are just ripping us blind, you know, and and people are worried about, you know, is my team going to make it to the playoffs? And look at the trade we just made. You know, you'll have a grown, and don't take this the wrong way, but you'll have a grown man wearing, you know, a Colin Kaepernick shirt or Wheezy sneakers or something like that. And look, I'm sorry, but you look like an idiot. Now, if you're a mega rich dude and you got all this money and it means nothing to you, God bless you, man. Then, then that jersey is going to look good on you because you don't have those kind of issues. But you have men out there that have families and children and people dependent on them, but they're going to take that last $50 to get that Kaepernick, you know, jersey which is freaking retarded. And that what that's what Nietzsche's talking about here. You know, the ability to make that discernment, make the right choices in life, think for yourself, to go across, to be a bridge, to be a rope between a man and beast. You know, make that choice and push forward. Evolve, grow, and be the Ubermensch. And to add to that, the Ubermensch would be the Uber dad, the Uber husband, and the Uber provider, all in one. People take it. As this whole negative thing, oh, you you know, you beat your wife and you slap your wife around, just like with the title of my podcast, Alpha Male Buddhist. I've had people on Reddit say, oh, Alpha Male, so you beat your wife or you slap her around. Or you, that has, that, that's just retarded. The, uh, alpha is a state of being supreme, of being aligned, and of taking charge of the responsibility that God has placed before you. So that's what Nietzsche's talking about here with the Ubermensch. Nietzsche understands that the supreme gr- growth comes from supreme suffering. And facing supreme challenges in life and not cowering away from them, you know, and running onto your Facebook and complaining that your feet hurt or getting on Instagram and, you know, putting up, you know, commenting on memes that have no real effect on your life. Again, if you're into memes and all of the social media, that's cool, but everything within reason and try to align everything with your own personal growth. Yes, have fun and 
joke around and you know I'm, I'm getting into the memes too they're a lot of fun and they're pretty cool but some people just get self-absorbed that they want to put up a meme and get you know 50,000 likes or whatever when that's not going to pay their bills what's going to benefit them is focusing on those tasks and responsibilities and duties that God has put before him to be a good provider a husband and the leader in his home his family and his community and that's what we need to focus on here and that's what Nietzsche is talking about here the evolution of man as an individual, the evolution of a family as a unit, and the and the evolution of society as a whole so that we can all benefit and grow. Just look around at the people in your own life and notice that the people that slack have zero direction. All they do is seek the acceptance and gratification acceptance of others and gratification of their senses. They live to gratify their senses and they live a life of attachment attachment to the approval of others, attachment to the material world, and attachment to just following, you know, whatever is put in front of them, like, you know, like a trained seal, just for a piece of fish. You know, they, they, they're like trained seals instead of a piece of fish. They, they want likes on social media or the approval of others, you know, that they're matching and, and such. And as they seek this gratification, their whole life just passes them by. And they'll reach the ripe old age of whatever, 70, 80, whatever it is. Because to me, 60 is not even old these days. But they'll reach a ripe old age and realize that just this whole life has passed them by. And they'll scratch their head wondering, what what, what did I do with my life, you know? It's kind of sad. So seize, seize the day, carpe diem, you know? Fortis fortuna aduvat. Fortune favors the brave. It's Latin. That wraps up my commentary on the Prologue 4 of Nietzsche's Thus Spoke Zarathustra. Zarathustra's Prologue, Part 5 When Zarathustra had spoken these words, he looked at the people again and was silent. There they stand, he said to his heart. There they laugh. They do not understand me. I am not the mouth for these ears. Must one first smash their ears before they learn to hear with their eyes? Must one rumble like kettle drums and preachers of repentance? Or do they only believe a stammerer? They have something of which they are proud. But what do they call that which makes them proud? Culture, they call it. It distinguishes them from goat herds. Therefore, they dislike the word despising said of them. So now I will speak to their pride. So I will speak to them of which is most despicable. And that is the last human. And thus spoke Zarathustra to the people. The time has now come for the human to set a goal for itself. Time has now come for the human to plant the seed of its highest hope. Its soil is still rich enough for that. But this soil will one day become poor from its cultivation, and no tall tree will be able to grow from it. Alas, the time will come when the human will no longer shoot the arrow of its yearning over beyond the human, and the string of its bow will forget how to whir. I say to you, one must still have chaos within, in order to give birth to a dancing star. I say to you, you still have chaos within you. Alas, the time will come when the human will give birth to no more stars. Alas, there will come the time of the most despicable human, who is no longer able to despise itself. Behold, I show to you the last human. What is love? What is creation? What is yearning? What is a star? Thus asks the last human, and then blinks. For the earth has now become small, and upon it hops the last human, who makes everything small.
Its race is as inexternable as the ground flea. The last human lives the longest. We have contrived happiness, say the last humans, and they blink. They have left the regions where the living was hard, for one needs the warmth. One still loves one's neighbor and rubs up against him, for one needs the warmth. To fall ill and harbor mistrust is in their eyes sinful. One must proceed with care. A fool, whoever still stumbles over stones, are humans. A little poison now and then, that makes for agreeable dreams. And a lot of poison at the end, for an agreeable dying. One continues to work, for work is entertainment. The one takes care, lest the entertainment become a strain. One no longer becomes poor or rich. Both are too burdensome. Who wants to rule anymore? Who wants to obey? Both are too burdensome. No herdsman in one herd. Everyone wants the same thing. Everyone is the same. Whoever feels differently goes voluntarily into the madhouse. Formerly, the entire world was mad, say their finest, and they blink. One is clever and knows all of it has happened, so there's no end to their mockery. One still quarrels, but one soon makes up, else it is bad for the stomach. One has one's little pleasure for the day and one's little pleasure for the night, but one honors good health. We have invented happiness, say the last humans, and they blink. And here ended Zarathustra's first speech, which is called the prologue, for at this point the clamor and the delight of the crowd interrupted him. Give us this last human, O Zarathustra. So they cried, Turn us into these last humans. Then we give you the whole human. And the people all jubilated and clucked with their tongues. But Zarathustra became sad and said to his heart, They do not understand me. I'm not the mouth of these ears. Too long have I lived in the mountains, and too much have I listened to streams and trees. Now I talk to them as to goat herds. Unmoved is my soul, and bright as the mountains in the morning. But they think I'm cold, and a mocker with fearful antics. And now they behold me and laugh. And even as they laugh, they still hate me. There is ice in their laughter. Here in this fifth prologue, Nietzsche is confronted with the realization that the crowd, the villagers, and mankind have plummeted into the abyss. And they are laughing out loud as they freefall into the darkness, into the pit of fear, servitude, weakness, ignorance, and attachment. Zarathustra proclaims, and as Zarathustra spoke to the crowd, they became silent. They laugh. They do not understand me. I am not the mouth for these ears. Must one first smash their ears so they can learn to hear from their eyes? Must one rattle like kettle drums and the exhortations of a preacher? Or do they believe only in stutterers? Zarathustra then goes on to say, They have something of which they are proud. And what do they call that which makes them proud? Culture, they call it. It distinguishes them from the goat herds. Basically, what Nietzsche is saying here is that man has been relegated to the state of cattle or herd of cattle. Zarathustra continues, it is time that mankind sets themselves a goal. It is time that mankind plant the seed of their highest hopes. Their soil is still rich enough for this. 
but one day the soil will be poor and tame, and no tall tree will be able to grow from it anymore. Beware the time approaches when human beings no longer launch the arrow of their longing beyond the human, and the string of their bow will have forgotten how to whir. And what he means by whir is that's the sound when you pull back like a bow, a bow and arrow, the, strong, the, the sound the string makes when you release it, that whizzing sound. Meaning man has lost his ability to dream, to move forward, and just relegate it to a herd mentality, reduced to the existence of cattle. He continues, I say to you, one must still have chaos in oneself in order to give birth to a dancing star. I say to you, you still have chaos within you. And they blink. Nietzsche uses that phrase, and they blink, about ten times in this fifth prologue the timing of the placement of and they blink shows you the total detachment that human being has from his divine essence it's almost like an involuntary reflex when you have no attachment to your soul to yourself to your ascended self and to the divine consciousness of the universe where you just stand there and blink like an idiot and he continues to use that term, and they blink. You can just visually see a person standing in front of you like like a drone, like cattle, and just blinking. To me, and they blink means man's relinquishment of the divine spark within him. Just given up, broken, falling into the abyss. Blinking. Zarathustra continues, One still works, for work is a form of entertainment. But one sees to it that the entertainment is not a strain, and they blink. One no longer becomes poor or rich. Both are too burdensome. Who wants to rule anymore? Who wants to obey anymore? Both are too burdensome. No shepherd and one herd. Each wants the same. Each is the same. And whoever feels differently goes voluntarily into the insane asylum. Formerly, the whole world was insane. The finest ones say blinking. Zarathustra continues. Here ended the first speech of Zarathustra, which is called the prologue. For at this point he was interrupted by the yelling merriment of the crowd. Give us the last human being, then we will make you a gift of the overman. And all the people jubilated and clucked their tongues. But Zarathustra grew sad and said to his heart, They do not understand me. I am not the mouth for these ears. Too long, apparently, I lived in the mountains. Too long have I listened to the brooks and the trees. Now I speak to them as to goat herds. I'm really noticing that each of the prologues in this, each of the ten prologues in this book, Thus Spoke Zarathustra, takes a different kind of fractal view of the existence of mankind, of the challenges that we face, of the challenges that... Zarathustra faces as a man ascending into the mountain with his ashes, living there for 10 years, communing with the sun, with his eagle and his serpent, and the challenges that he faces once he attains this ascended consciousness and meets this, this man in the forest, this holy man in the forest who, who warns him against the crowds and the people where he 
enters this village, where Zarathustra enters this village and gives them the gift, the introduction of the Uberman or the Overman, and the crowd just laughs at him. We see what true human nature is as Zarathustra sees the crowd kind of resisting against him. He gets into his old dialogue about man being a rope, man being a bridge, not a goal, and the people still don't understand his teachings. And as he speaks to them and tries to put light on their darkness, they just blink. It's, it's amazing, this, this whole prologue. So this is going to wrap it up for the fifth prologue. I'm planning on doing prologue 6 through 10. This is not easy because I'm kind of new to Nietzsche and kind of trying to delve into his thinking, into his mindset. It's it's really, really deep stuff, man. So I recommend that you guys, you know, pick up this book, Thus Spoke Zarathustra. You could simply listen to it on YouTube. There is a preferred interpretation or translation of it by a gentleman by the name of Graham Parker, I believe it is. So we're going to I'm going to leave it right here and I want to thank you all for listening and namaste Welcome to the Alpha Male Buddhist from Brooklyn podcast. I'm your host, Miguel. I like to cover topics from ancient history great leaders and generals from the past, and I also like to talk about self-realization, truth, critical thinking, and strategic spirituality. Outside the box, nonconformist, I'm here to shatter the myths of the mainstream media and the beta sheeple narrative. My email address is alphamalebuddhist at gmail.com. My website is alphamalebuddhist.com. Dot podbean.com. My Instagram is Alpha Male Buddhist. And check out my YouTube channel, Alpha Male Buddhist, and that's on YouTube. It is the podcast accompanied with video clips that integrate exactly with the podcast, so it's motivational and inspirational. I also have promotional t shirts if you go to my website, Alpha Male Buddhist.podbean.com. You can see the promotional t-shirts there. Reach out to me. Also, if you have any show notes or any suggestions that you would like to hear on the podcast, just reach out and see if I can get that done. I've been getting some really great emails and feedback from my listeners, which is great. So I want to thank you for listening and namaste.